As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see this message. Welcome to Home Group. My name is Rick Renner, and we're so glad you've joined us. And today it's me and Joel Renner and Maxime. Guys, welcome to Home Group. Thank you. It's so good to be with you, Dad, and with you, Maxime. The same here, Joel. Hello, friends. I'm happy to be here, and I pray we're going to have a great time of fellowship. You know, in the regular TV program this week, I'm teaching the book of Jude. Actually, I'm teaching it for several weeks. Joel, it is amazing. And what's kind of sad is people usually just skip over it because it's just 25 verses. It just fills about a page and a half just before the book of Revelation. So people kind of ignore it. But it is one of the most power-packed things in the New Testament. And actually, the first time I heard the book of Jude taught is when it was taught by Pastor Terry Pearsons several years ago in their Sunday morning Bible study online. It was so fabulous. I said, wow, one of these days I'm going to do that. And here we are. Anyway, we're glad that you're with us. And I want to tell you that in the regular TV program this week, we're offering you Mockers in the Last Days. It's part three to the book of Jude. And it is amazing. Please, please order this. It will really enlighten you as to what we're experiencing in the church. The Bible prophesied it, and it comes with a study guide. And we're offering you this week my book called Last Day's Survival Guide. Do you have a copy of this book? If not, why don't you have a copy of this book? Jude, this, Joel, this book has been used to touch people all over the world. I mean, it's really amazing. It really is. I'm very grateful you wrote that book. Thank it's you, helped Joel. many people. You know, I wanted to write this book for years and years and years. And one day I just felt the breath of God to do it. And boy, it really came out on time because it was just before the pandemic and all these other things that are happening in the world. And you know about that book, Last Day's Survival Guide, it really does seem like we need a survival guide to navigate through these days we're living in. Yeah. I mean, we just got out of the coronavirus. Now we're in this other situation. And now they're talking about a new situation happening. Monkeypox. What in the world is happening in our world? And none of this is, I mean, just... Things have been happening for so long, but it seems like now it's just one after another, one after another, one on top of the other. And I think this book, Last Day Survival Guide, How Do You Survive in These Last Days, is a great book. But I also want to mention that we still have all these products in front of us because we're still helping people that have been displaced. A lot of people show up initially when there's an emergency and then people forget or their mind goes to something else not this ministry. We want to help these people as long as we can. These are still displaced people. It's good to show up initially, but you know what? We just had a mission trip, and when our team went back, one of the displaced families said, wow, you actually came back. I want everybody to say that. I want them to know that we're very serious about not just teaching them the Bible, but with the help of our partners helping them get through this period in their life. And I want to say thank you for everything that you've done and remind you that every one of these boxes is $60 and contains all kinds of meals. It's $3 a meal. And with a gift of $3, you can feed someone. A gift of $60, you can provide a whole box of relief. And Joe, we're distributing this help all over in Eastern European countries where people have been scattered in the Eastern uh, part of Ukraine over in Russia where people have been scattered. We're helping people everywhere. We're wrapping our arms around all of them. I just spoke to a pastor day before yesterday who told me that they have been taking care of 2,000 people.
people that they've been feeding, but our ministry provided the money for them to provide the meals. So together with them, we're really touching lives. I was speaking to another pastor, and he told me that because of our support, we're, they're able to help more refugees in a different country that you're talking about. Wow. And it's just remarkable. And honestly, there are many refugees. I read a report, I think it was just yesterday, that right now in the world there's more refugees than there's ever been. And people need help. They really do. They need Christ. And I just want to say thank you if you've given to help these people with relief. Thank you so very much. You're really making a difference. And we've never done anything like this, but we knew that this was God's will for us. And thank you for being a part. Maxime, you have anything to add? I'm happy we're doing it. And I'm, I've, I've seen how our guys, uh, they, they've been loading those trucks, huge trucks, and sending this relief to all parts of the earth. And it's exciting. It's truly amazing. But hey, let us know how to pray for you. But read for your Bible. And today we're going to go to the book of Jude. And we're going to begin with me tonight reading the RIV of some verses from Jude. It's going to sound like a lot of reading, but that's where we need to start. And a lot of people say, well, what is the RIV? Well, I'm glad you asked. It means Renner's Interpretive Version. And it's what I call a dynamic interpretation of the New Testament. Dynamic means there's room for expansion. It's not changing what the Bible says. Let me read to you. The RIV is a conceptual interpretation of the New Testament that draws on concepts in the Greek language and brings them into the text in a contemporary way to provide a broader comprehension of what is being communicated in the Scriptures. And just so you'll know, people have been saying, when is the RIV going to be ready? Well, we hope that the first installment will be ready sometime in 2023. And it will be the book of James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and the book of Jude. That's, that's just the best I can do right now. But we want to release it in installments and in pieces so you can get it and begin to enjoy it. But today we're going to begin with the RIV of Jude, verse 3. It's going to be a lot of reading, but I want you to listen real carefully. It says, Beloved, I call you that because of the only word I know to express how deeply I love and cherish you. Jude is writing this epistle. I fully intended to write to you about our mutually shared salvation. And I was really eager to write about this exciting subject, ready to engage all my creative abilities to dive deep into all the benefits that our salvation entails. That is already quite an expansion of this verse, but that really is everything that's in the Greek language. Then it says, But as I was about to get started, I found myself gripped with a sense of urgency and a deeply felt need to address another subject that came to my attention. Let's stop. What came to his attention? He had just read the second epistle of Peter. And I think that's important because these early guys were reading what each other were writing. They were reading the New Testament as it was being written. And in 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter talks about false prophets and false teachers that will emerge in the church, especially at the end of the age. And what Peter writes is so vivid, it is so startling, that whenever Jude read it, he changed his plans. He was going to write a letter about salvation and all the benefits of salvation. But when he read what Peter wrote, he said, hey, 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 I need to address this as well. Well, he's the half-brother of Jesus. His voice was very important. And so he knew he needed to address this. And so then he continues and he says, I felt someone needed to come alongside the troops 
to urge them to hold their heads high, to throw their shoulders back, and if needed to look the enemy eyeball to eyeball and to earnestly contend for the faith because it's under assault. God entrusted the faith to us once and for all and expects us to guard it and maintain its integrity in the same form it was delivered to us. God has given us the responsibility to impart it to others in the same form as it was when we received it. That's the RIV in verse 3. And that's pulling all the concepts of the Greek into the verse. It's really quite amazing. Then let's look at verse 4. But unfortunately, now he's going to tell us why he's writing this letter. We are now confronted with a certain category of individuals who have clandestinely, almost like a stealth operation, craftily wormed their way right into the middle of our ranks. Exactly sounds like what's going on today. That's what was prophesied. Then he adds, Long ago it was foretold and written in advance that a day would come when such individuals would show up. And in the end, Heaven's court will issue a damning verdict of judgment and condemnation on them due to their activities. I'm talking about people who were once reverent and God-fearing, but now they've lost their fear of God. These are individuals who will go about altering, changing, and modifying the grace of God into a teaching that says everything is okay and that leads to sinful living that's marked by immoral and indecent behaviors. They can't claim ignorance about what they're doing, because the Lord God, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, has spoken to them and warned them to get back in line. That's really what the Greek means. But in spite of these warnings the Lord has given them, they knowingly are denying and walking away from the authoritative covering of the Lord. That's a translation of the Greek word arneomai. All of that really is in the Greek text. Then you come down to verse 8. Let's jump to verse 8. And now Jude begins to describe these people that are reprobate concerning the faith or they've deviated from the truth. In the very same way, identical way, these dreamers have shockingly convinced themselves that what they do and condone is all right. They go about defiling the flesh, and they show total disregard to those with authority. And out of a complete disdain for spiritual authority, they audaciously speak debasing, nasty, shameful, ugly words to those who are in authority with a purpose to belittle and to put them down. Verse 9, I tell you amazingly that even Michael, the tremendously powerful archangel, at the moment when he was wrangling and going back and forth with the devil in a fierce and really hot debate concerning the body of Moses, even he did not cross the line and get into judgment with the devil, nor did he try to take retribution against him, nor did he get dragged into speaking insulting and humiliating words, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. Verse 10, but the people I'm talking about, speak atrociously and inappropriately about things they absolutely do not comprehend or even have a clue about. To be honest, they know and operate from a natural low-level instinct, a lot like animals that lack intelligence. Now that may sound kind of rude. That really is what the Greek word means. The Greek word zugreits, where you get the word for a zoo. You see, it really was his equivalent of saying these people ought to be put behind bars. They're wild, uncontrollable people. That explains why their standing in life is so degenerate, depraved, and totally messed up. Verse 11, 
I say woe to these people because they've abandoned what they once held to be true to follow after the same path of Cain. For the sake of financial gain, they've given themselves fully to error and have lost their bearings and are now completely morally adrift. And as a result, they have ruined, devastated, and destroyed themselves. Their mutinous, rebellious, subversive attitudes and speech is a lot like those that marked Korah, verse 12. These people are unthinkably right in your midst, fearlessly, sumptuously feasting at your love feast. Now, if you read this in the King James Version, it says there are spots in your love feast. But listen to what the Greek means. Listen to this. Such people are like dangerous reefs in the sea. Not spots, reefs hidden under the water. With potential to produce moral and spiritual shipwreck in people's lives. And there they are self-focused, tending to their own needs and taking care of themselves. They are like clouds that fill the sky, that look like they carry water, but contrary to the image they give to others about themselves, they're spiritually dry as a desert and completely void of spiritual water. These people are like turbulent winds that bring a lot of destruction to people's lives, and they're hard to nail down because they're constantly on the move. Fruit-producing trees should bear fruit in season, but they have absolutely no fruit to show for themselves. They are spiritually like a plant that's been torn from its roots out of the soil. Verse 13, this is the last RIV verse I'm going to be reading today. The behavior of the people I'm describing are uncontrollable and unpredictable, like raging waves of the sea that are constantly rising and falling, always on the move. And just as waves in the sea churn up a lot of foam and drag up junk from the bottom of the sea, these folks stir up trouble, spit up spiritual vomit, spiritually froth back and forth and produce a mess, that's really what the Greek says, out of their own disgrace, dishonor and indignity. And like stars that have lost their orbit and veered off track, they moved out of their God-appointed orbit and roam and wander about, which means he's talking about ministers of the gospel that are no longer in relationship with other people in the ministry. They've lost their orbit. They're out of authority, and now they're just wandering stars. And he calls them stars, the Greek word aster, which means those who produce light. It's the same word used in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 to describe preachers who are stars. God intends for gospel preachers to give light in darkness. He doesn't doubt that they're stars God called, but he says they've roamed out of their orbits. And as a result, it says a day is coming when these wanderers who have veered off track and lost their way will be permanently placed and forever kept in a nearly unimaginable dark gloom and obscurity in a never ending darkness that is mute of all light. And they will be held there into the vast expanse of all eternity. Now, you know, a real transla uh, challenge for interpreters or translators is that you don't add your own interpretation to what you're translating because there's always a tendency to say, I don't like the way it says that. Let me fix it. I'm doing my very best to translate it exactly for what it says, even if I don't totally understand it all. I'm really trying to give the true meaning of the text. But then when you come to verse 14, now we're going to begin new teaching. He says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. But notice in the King James Version it says, and Enoch also. The word also is the Greek word day, which here 
is used to carry the idea of something emphatic or categorically. It's the equivalent of saying, can you imagine as far back as Enoch, God has been telling us that a day would come when these folks would show up. Well, Enoch, this verse says, was the seventh from Adam. And you can read about Enoch in Galatians, in Genesis chapter 5. And guys, think about it. In Genesis chapter 5, Enoch so clearly heard from God that he was able to see the end of time from the very beginning. Isn't that amazing? And Enoch walked with God and was not. He was just taken to heaven. And he is in heaven to this day in his natural body. And in the book of Revelation, two end time prophets will show up and guess who they are? The two who never died, Elijah and Enoch. So Enoch saw the end from the beginning and at the end he will participate in the wrap up. Isn't that amazing? He's going to come back with Elijah to preach, one of the two end time prophets, to see what he prophesied in Genesis chapter 5. What do you think about that? I can just imagine Enoch and Elijah in heaven right now. Talking about the future. Talking about, can you imagine when we go back, we're going to really do our job good and finish well. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. And it says he's going to come with ten thousands of his saints. I love this word if because it is the Greek word en. And the word en means in the midst of. You could translate it enshrouded in. And this is talking about the second coming. It's not talking about the rapture. The rapture happens at the end of the church age, and when the rapture happens, we are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That's the rapture of the church, which some people don't believe in because they say the word rapture is not in the New Testament. It's not, but the word caught up is used. The Greek word harpazo, it describes the rapture. It's just a different word when we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. But at that moment, Jesus will not put his foot on the earth. We're going to go back to heaven with the Lord. He's taken the church. There's a seven-year period. During that seven-year period, there will be the marriage feast of the Lamb. There will be the judgment seat of Christ in heaven. And on the earth will be the great tribulation. At the end of that seven years, Jesus is going to come visibly. That's called the second coming. And that is what he sees in this verse. And he says, when the Lord comes in the second coming to put his feet on the earth, that's when the Lord will set up his kingdom, his millennial reign from Jerusalem. He will come with ten thousands of his saints. It's going to be me, Joel, Maxime, you, anybody that has served God in this life. We're going to come back with Jesus. And guys, we're going to be part of his administration. And what I always tell people that they need to understand, <coughs> right now what we're doing is qualifying what we're going to do in the future. Maxime? Everything we do in this life is sowing and we're going to reap, <coughs> we're going to reap in heaven. And I hear it from you all the time. You say if anything works in life, it's that rule. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And everything we do here is sowing into our heavenly life. Our future is great. We're not just going to go to heaven and play harps. We're only going to be in heaven for seven years to begin with. And by the way, the reason we're going to be there for seven years is because there's a tribulation period. But it's also going to take seven years for the Lord to deal with everybody at the judgment seat of Christ. It's going to be very thorough. It's going to take seven years. And then we're going to come back with Jesus. And he saw it. And the Bible says ten thousands. The Greek pictures an innumerable company. It's going to be huge. And the RIV of verse 14 would be like this. It's amazing that even Enoch, the seventh from Adam, 
prophesied and foretold in advance about these and other events that would occur in the future, saying, Behold, the Lord is coming with the authority and power needed to right every wrong and to set everything in order. And when he comes, he will arrive in the midst of ten thousands, innumerable numbers of his holy people with him. That's us. Say amen. Amen. We have a glorious future. But then you come to verse 15, and Jude then tells us what's going to happen when Jesus comes. To execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken. Do you see one word repeating over and over and over in that verse? The word ungodly. Over and over and over, he keeps repeating the same word. And when he executes judgment, the word judgment is a very specific Greek word that's pronounced like this. Are you ready? Crisis. And it's where we get the word crisis. For the ungodly, this is going to be a crisis moment. And the Bible says he's going to bring judgment upon, the word upon is a form of the Greek word kata. It carries the idea of a dominating or subjugating force. Jesus is going to really take control of the situation upon all, and he's, and he's going to convince them that what they have done is wrong. And the word convince is the Greek word eklegko, which means to cross-examine for the purpose of conviction, like a person that's been put on a witness stand in a court of law. Jesus is going to bring forth all the evidence. No one is going to be able to argue with his verdict because he's going to make it absolutely clear that what people have done is wrong. There will be no debating There'll be no second chances. He is going to cross-examine to the point that people will just understand they're charged as guilty. And over and over in this verse, it talks about those that are ungodly. And the word ungodly is the word asebes, which really is the word sebes, which describes those that are pious, reverent, God-fearing. But when you put an A on the front, it cancels it or it reverses it. It's really talking about those that have lost their fear of God. Oh. Once they walked with God, but now they've lost it. Once they were reverent, now they have lost it. And I just want to throw something out there. We're even seeing this in the church. And forgive me if I'm about to step on some toes, but I'm going to step. Even if you look at the way that people go to church today, they're kind of irreverent in the way they come to church. They dress better when they go to work. But when people go to church today, it looks like everybody's going to a picnic. People are wearing shorts to church. People are wearing sandals to church. You know, when I was growing up, there was a reverence for God. We revered God. We had a respect for God. So when we came to church, we dressed like we really were respecting church and respecting the Lord. But today there's such a sense of casualty with God, a lack of respect with God, a lack of seriousness with God. It's even in the church. And if you go into the world, it's worse. They have no fear of God at all. But a sebes, sebes, once pious, once God-fearing, but now a, a sebes, they've lost it. And at the end of the age, there will be a great loss and respect for the things of God where people just begin to treat God casually. And when you treat God casually, like it's really not that serious, people begin to behave casually with their lives and they become ungodly. That's what the verse says. Any comments? Amazing, very amazing. I think it's just remarkable. Maxine? I'm, I'm so thankful 
uh, and I like the way you teach about uh, second coming. You say that Jesus will pick us up, will take his church before this great time of tribulation. And I think it's very true because God is very logical. In everything he does, he's logical. And since God poured his wrath on Jesus, so why would he keep his church here on earth while he's pouring out wrath? Well, he's not going to. In fact, the Bible says we've been saved from the wrath to come. Correct. But hey, I've enjoyed this time. I do have a question. Yeah. How do you know in the very beginning you said that Jude had just finished reading 2 Peter? Because, first of all, we know from early Christian writers he had just read 2 Peter. We know that. And if you read the book of Jude, it is line by line commentary on what Peter wrote. Hmm. He follows the same thought, the same examples. You're going to see it as we continue. Line by line. It's like Peter... Peter's epistle is here, and Jude's got his parchment and his pen here. He is following it, and he's building line on line on top of what he read. My favorite, my favorite verse of Jude, just period, is verse 21. Oh, it's wonderful. Live in such a way that God's love can bless you as you wait for the eternal life that our Lord Jesus in His mercy is going to give you. Amen. That's the verse I like. Well, this has been good. We're out of time, but... When we come back tomorrow, we're just going to continue. We're going to pick up right here. And we're going to begin again in Jude verse 14 with the RIV and just move right on. Because Jude has so much to say in these verses. But please reach out to us. Let us know what you think about the RIV. I'd really like to know what you think. Please. And let us know how to pray for you. Just give us a call or go online. We will pray for you. And remember that when you write comments in the comment field on social media, these eyes read it. First thing I did when I got up today was read your comments about yesterday's home group. So please do that. We love you and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed that teaching, please like, subscribe, and comment so more people can see it.